Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. All I ever wanted to be when I grew up was a mother. I was the child who would strap her five Cabbage Patch dolls into her parents' Ford Aerostar and take them to the grocery store. I would take mental notes on how other parents cared for their children and started writing the How to Parent My Kids manual in my brain. It was my calling to be a mom. When the time came at age 29 for me to have my first child and to be a mom, the planning I had done for years got stripped away the moment they cut the umbilical cord. It was nothing I had imagined. For one, I didn't realize that I would love so deeply, but not in the way one reads about. It was a jagged ride at first that was mostly accompanied with high anxiety and fear. Some of this fear was that I would somehow harm my child because I am clumsy and they are tiny. My daughter uncorked an entire world that I had shoved deep down inside of me for years, and I had no idea where to put those feelings except maybe into another batch of brownies. Motherhood had some really lovely moments, but I have to be honest when I say motherhood has been some of my loneliest moments in my entire life. Becoming a mom also made me realize that that was not enough for me. I wanted a career and to explore my other dreams too. Nobody prepares you for the swampy emotions that motherhood births. This is why when I stumbled upon Beth Berry on Instagram and her page, Revolution From Home, I about fell out of my seat with gratitude. On her website, you can find this phrase, we can't afford to pretend to love motherhood, not this version of it. The version that has us raising kids alone in our homes, disconnected from one another, immersed in a culture of judgment and perfectionism under the illusion that we're the ones who can't get our acts together. Did you hear that? If that doesn't sum up so much of how I felt, I don't know what does. But let's also add for all kinds of moms that are out there and talk about the high cost of daycare, working hard to put food on the table and clothes on their back with little resources and or support, or having two jobs to make ends meet to then come home to your third job. Feeling like everything needs to be picture perfect or that you are doing it wrong or trying to navigate a world while being disabled with your kids or with a disabled child in a society that rarely accommodates for that. And the list goes on. Beth Berry is an author who wrote the book, Motherwhelmed, Challenging Norms, Untangling Truths and Restoring Our Worth to the World. She is also a life coach, a group facilitator, a teacher, and mother of four daughters. Beth, it is so lovely to have you on my show, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kara. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just really have resonated with so much of what I have seen on your Instagram and what you write about motherhood and the things that you're saying. I mean, really... It just speaks so much truth to my experience. 
and what I have been living. And I just appreciate that. So I was wondering, what was your journey into becoming a mother and how did it shape you? Well, uh, so I became a mother very young, 17. So I kind of came into my sense of self through motherhood, largely. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt very passionate about motherhood from the very beginning. I was seeking a sense of purpose in my wild days of exploring all kinds of edges uh, that, that, you know, resulted in me becoming pregnant so young. And it was pretty instantly for me, so clearly important and beautiful and purpose-filled. And it really was like, gave me an outlet for all of the passion that was, you know, that I was feeling that I didn't have an outlet for, you know, like high school was not working for me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find my people. And like in my attempt to find my people, I was like hanging out with really reckless folks and, you know, just mm-hmm. um, trying to figure things out like we do in high school. Mm-hmm. So having motherhood combined with that idealistic young energy and also in that mix was uh, the sense that I needed to prove to the world that I was going to break the stereotypes of the single, you know, uh, teenage mother and be a, an exceptionally good mother. That combo sort of cemented in me this commitment to motherhood that was mm. pretty fierce. Yeah. So I uh, became really dedicated to my daughter, her needs to sort of homemaking in a, in a pretty earthy way and making her food and making her clothes and learning to sew and making, you know, like oh, wow. kind of a doing as many things as I could that were against the grain and, and sort of um, a wholesome feeling. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning for me. And then, and I have, was living with my, my parents and my sisters for the first two years of her life. And that was a really potent and powerful time because although I didn't realize it then, I was being, there was a version of motherhood that I was getting to taste mm-hmm. that I would actually be, uh, that I didn't get with the rest of my kids. And that was mothering with real built-in support. I was going to say, like, my that sounds home. like, that sounds lovely. <laughs> it was, it was really wonderful. I mean, it, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know any other way, of course, but I didn't feel so much of the stress that you would associate with like the, a young single mother, because I, I was definitely her parent, mm-hmm. but my parents in the mix really allowed me to meet my needs in a lot of different ways that, right. that I never could again, after I moved out. <laughs> You know, right. like yeah. being when I when I then got married and had my second daughter, it was not I didn't have near as much I didn't feel nearly as supported mm-hmm. as I did when I was um, at home with my with my folks. So anyway, that was kind of a the beginning of things. And then I you know I went to college and sort of had her through with through the college experience. Uh, we were sort of growing up together, uh, and then I got married and had my second daughter. Um, and by that point, my idealism was pretty off the charts. Like I was, you know, pretty hell bent on changing the world, you know, like one diaper at a time. I was just like, uh, so convicted that if motherhood was sort of my, my, my platform that I was going to, to, to be the best at it that I could. And, and as good as my children deserved, and it was so clearly clear to me that my 
my children were deserving of a wholesome, rich childhood. So I went, I was all in. And so that trend continued and had my third daughter and my fourth daughter. And, and at this point I'm still trying to do all the things, right. I'm Mm -hmm. making all the meals and I'm, you know, cloth diapers and hanging the laundry on the line and trying to, you know, have as, uh, as minimal a footprint possible and I mean right there I find that to be (laughs) right I mean like right there that's amazing is what it was was, yeah 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 so it was a lot and so I um I burned out basically I by the time my fourth came along and so there was a moment where I was sitting in this oversized chair nursing my newborn and my my I was tandem nursing at the time. So my two-year-old also wanted to nurse. And my six-year-old who I was homeschooling was like crying because we hadn't gotten to any of the things that I had told her we'd done do that day. And my 13-year-old was flipping out because the house was a wreck. And I was just like, I just... Mm. I had it was like my breaking point. I was like, what am I doing? And I was like looking around going, I freaking love these children so much. I hate my life. What have I done? I I was like boxed in by my idealism. Yes. And so I, I pretty much at that point realized that like for all of these things that I was giving to them, the handmade things, the homegrown things, um, if they had all these things and they had a miserable mother mm. that actually that didn't feel like a net positive. And right. so I really started reevaluating. Um, started with recognizing I had to get some time away because I was getting no breaks from my kids at all, like none. Mm. And um, so I started, you know, slowly going to like a knitting group once a week and getting time away and meeting some of my own needs for creativity and connection with other women um, and then I joined a rowing club and then I started getting some exercise and getting out on the water and my, I could feel sort of life pouring back in mm-hmm. and establishing a sense of self outside of motherhood. And it was mm-hmm. really essential for me having started off the way I did and so much of my identity being formed within motherhood. So, so that's when things really started shifting for me. And that was, I don't know, 13 14 years ago, because my youngest is 14, my eldest is 27 now. So wow. um, at that point, I started putting my own myself in the lineup of people whose needs mattered. And right. it was a process, it was gradual. Mm-hmm. Um, but I eventually really changed the quality of my life by uh, honoring the fact that I also had needs that mattered and that I wanted to be able to, because I, I started getting this, like, had this inkling that if I modeled for them how important it is to be an invested mother that, but I wasn't also caring for myself and, and modeling that my needs mattered, then I was just going to pass along the tendency to all these girls who are eventually going to grow into mothers and women and probably mothers themselves that by the time they became mothers, that their needs wouldn't matter either. And when that realization hit me, I was like, Whoa, what am I doing? This cannot, I can't, um, I would be heartbroken if my daughters were treating themselves the way I'm treating myself, Mm -hmm. you know? So that was, that was, that was a huge turning point for me. I feel that's the biggest thing that like reframes so much. I think of what mothers, you know, think about her and how they, 
and how we move in the world, you know, because I felt similarly where I felt like, you know, I had talked about before, I studied motherhood when I was little. I was, I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to do it all. I thought it was the greatest calling that I had. And that was like pretty much all I wanted to do. And I just remember becoming a mom and going, oh my gosh, what is happening? And this is not how I envisioned actually how I would even start motherhood and where my life was at at that particular point. And just feeling also, I didn't have, you know, like you had said later on, like the support, it was just a very lonely. And I was like, man, this is, I don't think this is how this is supposed to be. (laughs) We, you know, that whole thing you talked about with having your sisters around and your parents, that's like a built-in community. People to also show different expressions of love and care and like have that for your, for your daughter to learn from and for us to see is huge. Right. And yeah, it really, we put so much pressure on ourselves (laughs) to be a certain way. Totally. And I love the way you said different expressions of love and care, because I think that's one thing we're really sorely missing in this version of motherhood, the, Mm -hmm. the sort of status quo motherhood is that we have this incredible pressure that we put on ourselves. That's put upon us to mm-hmm. be and do everything for them. And yet intuitively deep down, we realize that actually they need a diversity of experiences and people's oh, people's yeah. expressions of love to draw from. Yeah. You know? And I think very quickly our identities get lost in the mix. Like you said, mm-hmm. like we just give everything of ourselves and then forget who we are and what we're supposed to, you know, or what even our needs and wants are. And then I also feel like that gets lost in the mix with our partners totally. of then being able to communicate what our needs and wants are with our partners, yeah. which creates just not a great cycle. Yeah. And it's a, an interesting thing too, because so, so many, it's like almost as if there's a story coming from the overculture that once you become a mother, your humanity matters less, mm. you know, and there's this sort of dehumanizing quality to how we treat mothers that that actually we're not supposed to have needs anymore yeah you know and that it's selfish to have them or center them or to to our or desires I mean wow like what kind of mother actually is in touch with her desires and actually pursues them you know like Mm -hmm. it's actually seen as a sign of a really um like self-centered mother when oh yeah when I think that actually we're um really missing the mark there oh yeah I 100% agree with you on that. So what was the biggest eye-opener for you then as a parent? Like you've touched on a few things, but I mean, maybe that time when you were sitting in the chair, but is there anything else that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, that was a big moment for sure. Another big eye-opening moment uh, of my journey happened when, so we moved not too long, a couple of years after that, that low point. Um, we, I was married at the time and we moved, uh, with the four kids to Mexico and we lived there for four years. And, uh, that was a huge reset and hugely eye-opening time. And what I recognized there was that, um, so much of what wasn't working for me within motherhood had to do with the, the speed at which we were living in the States. And interesting. The uh, 
the expectations of productivity of mm. like relentless productivity, relentless efficiency, which feel like actually um, things that are are not very accessible within motherhood. I mean, the, the, like the pure energy of motherhood to me, it does not, um, it's not particularly efficient or productive. It's kind of chaotic. It's kind of all over the place. You never really know if you're going to be feel very productive. There's not a lot of like markers Mm -hmm. along the way of success. You can't really tell it's kind of vague, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, you like, Mm -hmm. you feel productive. You, you like clean a room and then, it, another one's being trashed at the same, you know, it's all like really hard to, to know, like, is this, am I being productive? I don't, this doesn't feel very productive. So mm-hmm. all of the, those, those like really distorted messages that I was receiving when we lived stateside, we were in Austin, Texas at the time, which was a, it was a very fast paced culture. We were living in tons mm-hmm. of time in the car commuting and, mm-hmm. um, and then to slow down, uh, to, I would say maybe a quarter speed was, was like the norm where we were living and, um, and we didn't have a car. We didn't need a car. We were living in a walking culture. <sighs> it's mm. just like uh, the most refreshing moment ever. It was like, I, wow, like all the weight was taken off my shoulders and I it just being able to have space to, you know, that was also the first time that all my kids went to school. Oh yeah. And so I actually had some space and time to even ask myself the question of like, what do I want? What do I like? What do I need? I had space, like space between my commitments, space between my obligations, mm. space to think my thoughts. Like I, just, I would, I was like, I remember this realization, like walking down the cobblestone street thinking, I, there's actually like space between my thoughts. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> what is going on? They're not this running is, on top of each not, other. <laughs> no, they're not like stacked up and, and like wow. not this frenetic pace that, you know, and so it was really, so the, the realization that I had was that it's actually so much of the, the, um, what feels inherent to motherhood is actually the the version of motherhood in the states um, that's problematic. It's not all. It's not motherhood. Motherhood itself does not have the qualities that the overculture has assigned to it. Mm. That's 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 you know conditioned into us, which yeah. means then that we can decondition that right? we can change that. And that, that became this really empowering moment where I was like, wait a minute. So if it's not, if this is an inherent to motherhood, then I can change it about motherhood and, mm-hmm. and change it about my, my life experience and the quality of my life. And so I really started d- d- deep diving and deconstructing, like what are all the stories that I've been telling mm-hmm. myself about the kind of mother I should be and that what is a good mother and what, you know, what is, what is uh, an intentional mother able to offer her children and how, like I had this story that I recognized that was kind of running the show that was like, if, if I am super invested and I, and, you know, sort of like do and do extra, you know, over the top that, that I will be able to spare my kids pain and, 
mm-hmm. that they'll be, they'll be okay. They'll thrive. Right. And I, and you know, like um, that's actually not the way it works. Uh, mm-hmm. We would like for that to be the way it works, mm-hmm. but turns out we don't have that much control. And right. uh, early, I think, I think that- early in the parenting journey, we really don't like that idea that we don't mm-hmm. have that much control because it's heart wrenching to imagine that, that you could work so hard and something still, mm-hmm. you know, be challenged, you know, for your kids still to have adversity. Oh, yeah. um, but that, that was a pretty big. I think that's one of the biggest things too, that you learn instantly as a parent, you're just like, Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Like You think as a child, you think essentially too, that the adults in your life have the control for you over you and different things. And then you become a parent and you're like, I have really like no control. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to figure this out. Yeah. And we're guessing a lot of the time. And we, you know, I certainly didn't know that about my parents (laughs) when, when I was growing up. So do you think like you talked so much about our culture and do you think part of the deconstruction that we need to do is our sense of what success means? I definitely think so. Yeah. I I think um, that so many of us have just sort of uh, taken the bait, you know, and we've, we've, we've internalized the narratives about success coming from the overculture that are very much uh, rooted in, you know, um, financial success, um, climbing the ladder, mm-hmm. having really nice things, and it's capitalism, you know, mm-hmm. and and motherhood kind of like breaks those <laughs> molds. It it doesn't really fit. Yeah, you know, it's hard to be a really invested intentional mother and make really good money. It's hard to be an investor, mm-hmm. invested intentional mother and have like uh, high, be high achieving and climbing the corporate ladder and, you know, have all the nice things because it's frankly, it's unpaid, you know, that's, it, it goes completely against it. So we have all these mothers who are trying to feel successful within yeah. a, a system that isn't actually designed at all to right. support them in feeling successful. Exactly. And so I really think we have to strip away the conventional measures of success and get clear on what does success mean for us. And the, the, the way that I have found that question to be, you know, easiest to explore is to just to really get to like, when I'm at the end of my days, you know, mm-hmm. and I look back on my life what will I need to say I've prioritized in order for it to have been a success? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and to me that kind of cuts right through all the, all the BS. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like well, so many people say, you don't think about um, necessarily all the jobs or the different things that you've done, but you think about how you've, the relationships that you've had and, mm-hmm. you know, the people who have you touched and yeah, it's yeah. one of those I mean, I feel it right now, too, as a small business owner, as a person who's um, trying to run a business and and build it and also um, being okay with with not growing as fast as I maybe dreamt of or want to, because I will take a moment to make sure my kids are okay, you know, (laughs) where I'm like, you know what, Um, and but I have to say I have the privilege to do that because I have a partner who's making money. And so people also don't have that luxury 
in that sense, you know, and I think the thing that breaks my heart the most, like you said, is how our society is set up because the way it's set up is not sustainable and it's set up for people to fail. Yeah, it really is. Which I find to be so sad and upsetting (laughs) because it also just, it, it doesn't make for us to have the rich relationships that all of us really deserve and need. And it just creates these fractures in our systems that are barely holding it together Yeah, because they're not set up well. They're not set up well, and they're definitely not set up to honor the people who are in caretaking positions who are, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say like we absolutely have a care crisis on our hands uh, that the pandemic has illuminated. It was already there, but it's definitely been illuminated and um, intensified through the pandemic. And I I think so much of it comes down to what the overculture values and, um, and what we take for granted. And I see mothers, frankly, at, at the very baseline, you know, like we are the ones who are holding it together. We're the very foundation Mm. of we're the ones that sort of all of the cultural dysfunction, all the cracks in the system, it all filters down to us. We're the ones holding the load that the, that the, you know, the rest of society is not the, the ways in which the society is broken. We're the ones coming in and, and uh, holding it together, like, <laughs> like put, trying to slap the band-aids on and hold it, like keep the, keep the leak, everything from leaking. And we, that's what we're feeling mm-hmm. right yeah. now. You yeah. know? And, and I think one of the most important stories that we can possibly deconstruct in our generation of mothers is that the reason that motherhood feels so hard is because we're personally inadequate. Oh gosh. Yes. Oh and that's gosh. just not, that's just not it. Well, and I think, and that's the thing, like how many, it's like, if you could have a visual of what moms feel like on the inside walking around, <laughs> I feel like it would be so many people who are stooped over with their heads down, just kind of like shuffling their feet, just getting yeah. by. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I talk with moms and so many of them are just the phrase that I hear, and I think I, I said this at a former podcast, but you know, the phrase I hear is I've been duped. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like because we, because we kind of have, I mean, it's, um, I hear a lot in working with clients. I'll hear this, this story of, well, I signed up for this. So who am I to complain? You know, I, I, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be home with my kids, so I don't feel like I can complain. And, you know, to that, I would say, number one, we don't even know what we're signing up for when we get into this motherhood gig. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we have a, um, an instinctual desire to be mothers mm-hmm. is completely separate than the reality of the kind of motherhood we're stepping into in this culture. Right. Those are two separate things. So yeah, you yeah. can have this like beautiful, strong impulse to want to be a mother. That does not mean you think that, that you wanted to sign up for this super isolated, perfectionistic culture of motherhood that we Mm -hmm. step into. Like who wants that? Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not, it's not really working for any of us. Um, And I think that opening our eyes to the fact that those are stories and these are cultural norms that, 
that, you know, unfortunately we're the ones who are going to have to change because no one else is motivated to change these. What, what motivation does corporate America have to change the story of motherhood? Yeah. That none, they're (laughs) benefiting from, uh, you know, from the emotional labor, the invisible labor that we take on. Yeah. So it's, it's on mothers to stand up and rewrite the story and say, no, this, this version, this is some bullshit. And Mm -hmm. we, we have to retell the story. We have to decide what we need, what we want, what we're worthy of, what we're, what our kids are worthy of having modeled for them Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and retell the story. And a lot of it comes down to like doing that work together, connecting as mothers, because so much of what's toxic about the, the, the air we're breathing right now is that we've been conditioned not to trust each other. Oh, geez. Right. My gosh. Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't even know where to go from here. (laughs) Like like all of a sudden my brain was just like, what? (laughs) Oh, yeah. But it's like, it's hard to think about because, you know, this is something I have thought a lot about because I do feel like, I, I 100% believe this to be truth, that if we support moms and children, especially from the beginning, like young children from the very beginning and moms and provide them support in the way that they need, we would have so much less dysfunction in our society. Absolutely. And so then it's like, how do we help make that the priority in our country and the realization that so many issues that people fight against and vote on would basically disappear if we had those support systems in place mm-hmm. for mothers and young children. Mm-hmm. Especially when you start looking at the trickle-down effect through a couple of generations. Right. If we could clean some of this up and we have less trauma that you know, okay. starts in early childhood because of the lack of support in family mm-hmm. systems. Yeah. Then, then we can actually start to see some real progress. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we've done the, an ama- there's been an amazing job done since, let's say, like the 40s and 50s um, of understanding child development. Mm-hmm. focusing on okay this the like we're we're it's really more and more it's not okay like child abuse is not okay mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. kind of just the way it was for right. a long time and we've come in and gone okay not okay child right. abuse bad mm-hmm. um which is fantastic this is great <laughs> <laughs> and now i think we're being tasked with going a step further and going okay so if we want there to be a healthy, protected childhood experience where innocence is protected, where their you know, natural gifts and strengths are allowed to grow and flourish, mm-hmm. where there's like a wholesome, safe feeling environment, then we have to look at the conditions of the caregivers of those children. Right. Because if you're living under... Conditions that are not supporting, you know, let's, frankly, we're talking largely about mothers because mothers are still, we're still in a place in our, in cultural evolution where we are the primary caregivers of most, most of the time. That's still true. Right. So there's exceptions, obviously, but if, 
basically, if the mamas aren't well, how are we to be expected to then pass wellness down to our children? And I think that that's the shift that needs to be happening now is we've got to extend the, the, the compassion and care that we have done a pretty good job of extending to children mm-hmm. to the caregivers of children. Mm-hmm. Otherwise the cycle just continues because, and then <laughs> what's happened since we haven't done that, we haven't supported the mothers. Well, mm-hmm. is we've um, perpetuated this narrative that there's something wrong with the mothers. Yeah. Well, and it's almost an, another form um domination if I can say that Mm -hmm. it's like a power struggle right it's Mm -hmm. it's it's making people feel that they don't have value and they don't have worth and so then they can't live into who they really are supposed to be and again it becomes that cycle of you know generational trauma (laughs) that we continuously pass down yeah and it's particularly insidious and hard to see with motherhood I think because we are so we're being taken advantage of our innate compassion and care and deep, deep love for our children is being taken advantage of Mm -hmm. because if you have a, if you have a system that um, benefits, you know, profits on the back, on the backs of the people doing the unpaid labor Mm -hmm. and those people, let's just the mothers here. If those people are instinctually wired to sacrifice everything for the well-being of their children, we will keep sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing and run ourselves into the ground Mm -hmm. in order to protect our kids. We're wired for it. Right. So it's being, it's being what something that ought to be honored and revered and celebrated and cherished and absolutely protected Mm-hmm. And seen as so beautiful within the culture is actually just being taken for taken advantage of. Right. So I, oh, I say that. I say that for sure. When did you decide that Mother Whelmed needed to be written? Um, so Mother Mother Whelmed, I have such an interesting relationship with this book because it um, was such a like I wouldn't even call it a labor of love. I would call it a labor of desperation. <laughs> it was, it was like I had to have an outlet for these feelings and thoughts as they were, as I was working through them. Cause I it was basically, it was my journey through the de- deconstruction of, of my own mothering Mm-hmm. And going, this is not working and this is not working and that's some bullshit and that's some bullshit and not that either and not that either. And mm-hmm. clearing all the stuff so I could see what was true for me. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what that book was. It was, it was sort of me walking through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote that over the course of seven years. And it was in like little teeny little chunks here and there when I could. And such. I mean, it was a labor of love because I was... If it hadn't been, I would never have finished the thing because I was so, um, this, I was in the struggle while writing the book. I was very much feeling like there is no freaking space for me to think any thoughts. How Mm. does any mother ever do a thing outside of taking care of her children? You know, just like so much of this, this, like, this is unjust, you know, like I was writing from that place of like, I would wake up at five in the morning 
And it, the, my, it was, you know, I describe it now as my soul fire. My soul fire was just ignited. And I like, I have to freaking write, I have to get this out of me in order to show up well for my kids even. Because yeah. it was, I was feeling the inju- in the injustice mm-hmm. of my situation so intensely that I needed an outlet. Mm. And so that's, that's really where that book came from. And um, so now it's interesting because I, I'm, I'm so glad I wrote it because I'm in a really different place in my life now. Mm-hmm. And now to, even now to, to, to read it, I'm like, holy shit, I did that. I lived through that. I can't believe what I had to put up with for yeah. so long, you know? And like I said, my, my, my circumstances are, are really different now. And I'm glad that I, um, I'm glad I had an, I'm glad I gave myself that outlet and, you know, one thing that I would say uh, to people who have this, a need for a creative outlet of some kind, if you're in the thick of it with motherhood and um, like, I wish that I would have taken some of the pressure off myself that I felt for it to become a thing or right. on a timeline and just wrote the book and let it be like, it might take me. 10 years, 20 years, I don't know, but I'm going to write this book because it feels important to me Yeah. because I did in that mix feel like, God, I should have it done by now. Why don't I have it done by now? And I would Mm -hmm. love to go back and be able to, you know, alleviate myself of that burden because I did not need that burden on top of all the rest of the burden. Well, and we also think that anything we produce right now needs to be like shown all the time, right? Like part of our Mm -hmm. culture now is let's put everything online. Let's put ourselves out there all the time and sometimes it's okay to produce work just for ourselves just because it needs to get out of our bodies right yep yep and I could also say in my case that um there were several conflicting needs there one was a creative creative outlet I really Mm -hmm. really needed that but I also was recognizing that I was not going to stay in my marriage Mm-hmm. And so I needed to start building some kind of a, a career for myself. And so there was that added was layer. That. Yeah. Of, of well, yeah, I know that, you know? that sometimes that's, I mean, I'm just saying for those, which you were saying of whoever needs a creative outlet to yeah. take that pressure off. Cause sometimes like, and then in your case, right, this book that you created, like now is serving like so many women and you're helping so many women who have this, similar story or who are just like needing something right and so some of those um you had talked about a little bit of what you hear from the women that you coach but what are what are some of the overall themes that they keep coming to you with um oh gosh right now there's you know at this point in the pandemic it's sort of like it depends on the stage of the journey that that the mothers are in that I work with, Mm -hmm. but those who have like, you know, preschool aged kids or, you know, pre-kindergarten or, or yeah. And actually also grade school kids. It's the, it's the uncertainty of whether there will be reliable childcare is just absolutely killing people. I mean, it's been, it's just too much, too long of like, oh, okay, I got a little momentum. The kids are back in school and I can get back into my job and then school shuts down again. And then, okay, it was shut down for three days. Okay, because someone had COVID in the class and now we're we're back in school. Okay, 
and then it shuts down again or the someone, you know, the babysitter gets COVID or whatever. And so the, it's the mothers over and over and over and over and over who are picking up the slack and who are having to quit their jobs or, yeah. or having to like disappoint their bosses or take a pay cut or, and the, and then that um, inequity within relationships yeah. where the same is not expected of the fathers. That's creating a lot of tension within marriages, oh, partnerships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a big one that I'm hearing that, that the, you know, childcare crisis is hugely, hugely stressing people out. Um, and then also there's this kind of uh, underlying um, vulnerability when it comes to connection and community building, because it's almost like we've necessarily had to pause many of our ways of connecting. and But now it's like there's no bandwidth from which to like rebuild the community because everybody's just freaking fried. Yeah. How do we even do it again? How Mm -hmm. do we even start? You know? So that's a a big one that I'm hearing too, is people are like desperate for community and connection, really, really need more support, need more lightness and fun and play. And yet it's like not, it's not feeling accessible because there people are just barely hanging on. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. What are some tangible ways then that you see that we can help reframe the way we mother in this society? Mm -hmm. How can we help Um, society deconstruct? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, gosh, there's, there's a lot of things I would say this. Um, One of them is that I think it's really important that we uh, recognize that that we do have needs, that we do have desires, that we are human, that we have limitations and start really um, giving more attention to those things. Mm-hmm. The, the, the self-awareness journey, I think is really, really essential mm-hmm. alongside the motherhood journey, because yeah. the better we know ourselves, the more we can understand why it is that we're reactive in certain situations, why mm-hmm. it is that certain behaviors in our kids just drive us insane, mm-hmm. why it is that we have very little tolerance for certain things in our partnership, why it is that we feel so passionately about our kids, you know, being in a certain kind of school or having, uh, you know, eating a certain kind of food or whatever. There's a, there's a whole lot to that, that if we build self-awareness that we can actually be um, in a better position to uh, show up for our families um, mm-hmm. and, and, and then, and also communities and do less harm honestly. Yeah. But, and, you know, I, I would also say that in conjunction with self-awareness absolutely has to come self-compassion because if we don't have those together, then this, the self-awareness ends up being more that we, we, we end up actually often weaponizing the self-awareness against ourselves Mm. going, God, like I know now that I know all these things about myself, like there's even more more that I can beat myself up about. Oh gosh. Like, geez, like now <laughs> yes. I understand, you know, I understand mm-hmm. the stuff about myself. So now I have even more responsibility to get it right. Right. But we've mm-hmm. got to recognize that there's <clears throat> the self-compassion piece is so key um, so that we're actually honoring our humanity. And I think that the, the quickest route there for me anyway, has been 
constantly coming back to, is this how I would tell the story about my kids if they were in my shoes? Mm. You know, if Mm -hmm. I'm saying, okay, let's say that I'm completely just overwhelmed. I'm having a shit week and I've got like works piling up and I don't have a whole lot of patience for whatever it is. And maybe the story I'm telling myself is that I'm not good enough. I'm not organized enough. I'm, I'm not worthy of taking a break because I haven't gotten all my work done. And just like being really hard on myself. Mm-hmm. Is that how I would tell the story about my kids, if about my daughter, if she were in my shoes or would I actually be going, wow, damn, she has so much on her plate. Mm-hmm. She needs some support and it's not okay that, that her boss still expects the same amount of work from her under these circumstances. And, you know, like I would have a completely different story yeah. for my, for my child. So that's how I have cultivated self-compassion for myself, because I'm, I, if I have it for myself, then I'm also modeling for my children, yeah. what it is to be kind to myself so that they will be kinder to themselves. Yeah. I think that's really what it is, is for, you know, as parents to think about, you know, think about the dialogue you're saying in your own head and how would you feel if your child was saying that in that same dialogue, like you would feel terrible. Right. And so that's like our space of learning how to reframe all of that, which takes time and practice. (laughs) And it's really hard. (laughs) All these things. So what kind of conversations happen for you around the table with your daughters about motherhood and parenting? Oh gosh. Um, (laughs) My Oh, geez. My daughters are uh, a force, you know, 14, 17, 21, and 27. So we've got, I don't even know, we talk about all kinds of stuff. We have a very open relationship and anything goes. So I often feel like I have to, like, if a new person comes into the family, I have to be like, you know, we talk about all the things, you know, <laughs> understand anything just prepare goes. yourself. <laughs> just, just be prepared if you hear you know, anything really. Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, but I would say that, you know, ironically, I don't really talk with my kids much about like motherhood or because they, they kind of glaze over. They're just not really there. You know, they haven't, it's not like they've read my book, you know, like they're like, yeah, that's what mom does. She's she's kind of obsessed with motherhood. In fact, they're probably like, we're just going to not pretend. (laughs) We're going to pretend that she didn't even write that book. (laughs) Because it's a little too personal. It's a little too sure. close in, you know, oh, yeah. they're, they're the ones that I've learned through. And yeah. so I'm sure that they're also kind of afraid of what, you know, mm-hmm. what I'm talking about, what I'm writing about, even though it's not really about them, it's about my own experience. But um, yeah, I mean, the things we talk about are really, um, we're doing a lot of deconstruction. That's, mm-hmm. I would say more than talking about motherhood, what I'm talking about with my kids is their realities and trying to help them um, see through the the gaslighting coming from the overculture because mm-hmm. there's just so much misinformation in their experience even if just like how are they interpreting what their friends did or said and how are they interpreting the TikTok flipping videos yeah. and how are yeah. they you know it's so much it's so much of what they're absorbing is just not uh, healthy or or true, yeah. And so that's a lot of what we're doing is is being like, how did that feel when you heard that? And does that feel true to you? And and, and sometimes they ha- they have more tolerance than others for my, you know, they're like, oh, okay, mom, that'll do. <laughs> but you know, I I try. Um, I was l- watching 
the Twilight series with my 14 year old the other day. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this version of love that is presented is so toxic. Mm. So toxic and and problematic on so many, like everything that comes out of their mouths. I'm like, that's dysfunctional and that's not gold. Like that's not going anywhere. And so I'm I'm often biting my tongue because I'm just like, my my kid would not want to watch a movie with me if I sat there and deconstructed the whole thing. But I do try to. mm -hmm. I was just going to say like just the other day, (laughs) I've been having (laughs) multiple conversations about this with the illustration of love, especially or relationships through the eighties and some of the things we grew up watching that I put on, you know, for uh-huh. my kids now that I'm like, Oh my God, this is terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. Uh-huh. Like there's just so many things that we have absorbed about relationships and love that are not okay at all, but imprint us on yeah. so many levels where I'm like, I can't mm-hmm. show you these movies, like these movies that I loved. I'm not going to show them to you. Totally. Because they're actually awful. <laughs> yeah. And, right. And that that's that was our blueprint, you know? Yes. Like so no wonder there's so much deconstructing having happened. So again, like this is another place where I think the self-compassion is so important. Because mm-hmm. we're not gonna catch all the things. Oh no. There's just mm-hmm. no way. The the overculture is enormous. Um, Mm -hmm. the influences, they're going to be influenced no matter what. And so that also means that we can't take responsibility for all the things that, you know, that they will, they're responding to their world. Mm -hmm. So yes, have taking ownership for the things that we can say, yeah, I didn't show up so well in this situation or whatever, but like, for example, mothers cannot take responsibility for this the screen addiction of their kids like that can't, we cannot say it's my fault because I didn't well actually they've been they were designed to be addictive <gasps> they're marketing to our kids it's the whole giant massive beast that mm-hmm. we're trying to hold back with oh single-handedly gosh. like that's thank you for saying that it's just it's not realistic so yeah. can we try yeah we can try but that's a beast of an animal uh, you know it's so like the most yeah. arguments that we get into our household yeah around that and I know that I do not show up well <laughs> It's a it's a a problem. Mm. I really, really, really hope that we can get some again support from from systems. We need like friggin' social services involved. We need somebody. Mm. We need researchers to come in and help us figure this out. Just like like we got support from the from the culture around like smoking cigarettes being bad for you. We need right. that level of like okay, we need warnings, we need yeah. laws. We 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 can't just just act like it's the job of the this must be a bad mom because her kids addicted to this thing. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. no. Yeah. Oh, that's not how it is. That's the truth, my gosh. Yeah. So, we are almost Coming already. So one of the things I ask every guest is what story are you reframing in your life today? <sighs> um, so I have done a lot of reframing over the past couple of years as my business has grown and I've needed to hire support. Um, so the reframe was 
you know, I have to, if I want something right, I have to do it myself kind of thing. Mm. And, and into like, it's, it's really the story is it's safe to lean on the right people. And I, yeah. I had a lot of a story around, it's not safe to lean on people because I wasn't leaning on the right people. Mm. But if I'm discerning in who I allow in and I'm discerning about who I, you know, hire and such um, that, you know, interdependence is a really beautiful life-giving thing. And so that's been a big one and it's really proven true. I have this amazing team and now the possibilities for business growth are really, it's a whole different game now. Mm -hmm. It's a whole different um, world of possibility opening up and it's so much more fun and lighter and it's more inspiring. So I, I, that's been, been a pretty big one. And then um, I guess the other one is that, that I, um, that as my business continues to grow, there's some, there's some uh, shifting that's having to happen in terms of how I am able to show up because I'm one person. There's only so, so mm-hmm. many, you know, I can only spread myself so thin and still, because that <laughs> had this beautiful and challenging thing built into my business where I'm teaching a lot. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to be in integrity, I have to sort of practice what I preach. And so right. Mm-hmm. spreading myself too thin, supporting all of these mothers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to help them, su- keep them from spreading themselves too thin. Like, you know, that doesn't really work. So I'm, I'm limited in my capacity to support right. um, by my own needs, which is, is kind of a beautiful thing. And also mm-hmm. challenges my own conditioned mind that I want to do more and I want to help more. Yeah. So again, that, that pu- push nudges me toward uh, trusting, learning to trust people, you know, interdependence, bringing more people on the team, because I don't, I can't, I can only do so much. So that's, that's been a big one too for me. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, I'd love to hear that your business is growing and that people are finding you. So if people want to contact you more and learn more about your book or your Instagram or your business at large, how can they find you? You can find me at revolutionfromhome.com and revolutionfromhome on Instagram. And then same, same on Facebook. Those are the places I most often hang out. And then my book is called Motherwhelmed. And you can find that in you know, all the places you buy books, audiobooks. Awesome. Well, Beth, it was wonderful talking to you today. And Thank I just you. really appreciate that you spent some time with us and uh, I feel all the things. <laughs> all the things. <laughs> I, like you. after this, I'm going to go and like write down notes of like, okay, work on this. <laughs> Just from our conversation. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Kara. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been, been fun to, to talk about these things with you. Mm-hmm.